Oh dear brothers and sisters, nice to be in your midst on this Friday. I'm going to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that these 20-25 minutes that we have, which are probably some of the most precious learning minutes of the week. Um, if you think about it, many of us who are working and engaged in these kind of daily working activities, the only time we get to hear in our language, uh, something we understand generally, uh, something about our faith is are these 25, this Jumu'ah Bayan. Because not everybody listens to lectures every day. Some people are mashallah lucky enough to do that. But otherwise, uh, we don't all get to do that. So that's why these 25 minutes are some of the most valuable. So I feel really, uh, I, I, I actually feel really apprehensive standing here that am I going to be able to fulfill uh, the rights of these 25 minutes and make sure I don't waste your time because we all have to go back here inshallah with some more knowledge and inspiration than we came so I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist and I want you to make dua as well <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, given all of us certain things that we use to lead this life with certain abilities Allah has given us capabilities Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us uh, different people he gives different things inshallah some people they really can speak very well they can talk their way out of every situation any situation some people Mashallah, good painters, some people are good taxi drivers, uh, some people are good lawyers, uh, some people, uh, Mashallah, they, Allah has given them golden hands, so they pick up a stone, they find gold underneath. Uh, some people they have such barakah, Mashallah. For example, I've got a, an uncle who, uh, he is not the cleverest person compared to other people. But he, Allah has given him the most or huge amounts. And one person remarked that whenever he throws the dice, he gets a six all the time. I don't know if it's good to get a six all the time, to be honest. But uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us all differently. And he has given us, each one of us, a unique something by which we lead our lives. Uh, Inshallah, we've discovered the uniqueness of ourselves and what Allah has given us and thanked him for it. Because if we haven't, then we're still searching. That means we're not focusing. So if you're good at what you do, if Allah has made you good at what you do, we should do shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, being capable to do something, is, the word in Arabic for that is qabiliyya. Uh, they use it in many Islamic languages, the word qabiliyya. They use it in Urdu, they use it in very different languages. It means ability. Do you guys agree that Allah has given you some kind of ability? Uh, I, you know, in my Juma Bayans, I like to be interactive. Uh, I have first, my first time here, so I don't know how the environment is here, but uh, sometimes I have to tell people in other places that I know this is your nap time uh, if you've just come from work, but I don't like to let people, you know, rest. So I, I asked too many questions. Um, so 
Allah has given us abilities that's qabiliya. So for example, if you look in history, you know all the great people that have gone down in historically speaking, the reason they went down is because they had qabiliya. They had an ability. They had a very unique point. They recognized and identified their unique point and they used it to get somewhere. Whether from a ilmi, uh, religious, <clears throat> academic perspective, a religious practice perspective or a worldly perspective. It's fine either way. If somebody's uh, a good politician, then that means he's got an ability that they have used. So if you look back in history, I, w I, w I visited Egypt in 2007, if I remember correctly. There's a big, uh, one of the biggest Arabic book fairs where for like one and a half to two weeks, this entire area in Cairo becomes a village of books. It's now all, all, all sorts of books from all around the Middle East and around the world they come. So uh, I went to visit, there's a, in Egypt, if you've been there, there's a Pharaonic Museum. It was built by the British about a hundred years ago. Uh, anybody visited this museum in Egypt? No? Um, so if I remember correctly, I paid 40 Egyptian pounds to get inside at the main door. <clears throat> then when you get to the third floor, I think it is, you pay 90 Egyptian pounds, more than the original fee at the door, just for this one room. 90 Egyptian pounds, if I remember correctly. And that room is the mummy room. They have, I think, seven mummies in there. They have, <clears throat> they have Ramses II, they have Medem Ta, they have <clears throat> several others. And these are basically, the, some of them are the pharaohs. So this is the mummy room. The reason I went in there is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <clears throat> says in the Quran about the Pharaoh. Now, the Pharaoh of Musa alayhi time was either Ramses II, which is the strongest opinion, or it could have been Medemta, Allah knows best. But whoever it was, you know the history. And he did what he did. And then there was the parting of the sea. Uh, there was the parting. And then he and his people, they died within there. But as you know, with Pharaoh, as Allah says in the Quran, When he was about to drown, he said, I, he tried to declare belief in the Lord of Musa and Harun But it was too late. But Allah did say one thing to him. He says, I'm going to give you respite. I'm going to save your body, basically. You're not going to live on as a human being, but you, your body will remain. Be badanik, so that you be a sign for the people after you. So I thought it's justified for me to pay 90 Egyptian pounds extra to go and see this ayah, this sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what's amazing, what is amazing, is uh, that these, this ability to mummify, was you don't see that in many other tribes or traditions of the world, but you see that in these guys. And it preceded this date. It wasn't from then because there's others who are mummified as well. But what's amazing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then that entire Pharaonic museum of five floors is everything related to Pharaoh. Everything in there from his needle to his Rolls Royce his chariots. Everything is preserved and that's only part of what's there. There's so much others, uh, other things which have artifacts which have not been presented yet. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I'm going to give you 
respite. Not just himself, Allah does things not Allah does things in very generous ways. So he basically saves everything. Does anybody know how long ago Pharaoh lived? How many years before are we speaking about? It's a bit of a history lesson now. Or history exam, sorry, without the lesson. How many years ago was Pharaoh around? And don't let Trinidad down, come on. It was before Isa alayhi salam, 2,000 years approximately before Isa alayhi salam, which means 4,000 years ago from now. That's a huge amount of time to still maintain this. 4,000 years ago, right? It's amazing. Now the point about Pharaoh is that he had huge qabiliyah, huge ability. He had enslaved an entire, entire Bani Israel. All of those pyramids, etc. well, many of them, they're from slave labor. The Egyptians, that's the, the, a lot of people know Egyptian or Egypt for the pyramids. Uh, they, they're basically benefiting from this labor until today. Can you, can you imagine? Now for anybody to subjugate, of course, it's, in many cases it's wrong. Uh, they, they have to be very, very intelligent for this. Have a huge amount of qabiliyah. There's a lot of clever people in the world. Some clever people will use that cleverness towards doing something good in the world. Some people will use it to do scams and clever ways of taking money and taking assets from people. Allah gives everybody an ability. They use it in different ways and that's the test. So now what's very interesting is that Pharaoh had huge qabiliyah. But the one thing that he was missing, which is really interesting, is that in Arabic, the word qabiliyah comes from three root letters. Qaf, ba, and lam. Mostly every word in Arabic is reduced down to its three essential letters. So for example, let me do a bit of test. What's your name? Ali. Okay, Ali, that's an easy one. right? So Ali comes from Ain, Lam, and Ya. Which basically means to rise, to elevate, to be lofty. Right? What's your name? Abdul Halim. So let's take one of them or both of them. Right? Abd comes from Ain Badal, which means to worship, to be a slave. And Halim, Halim comes from Ha Lam Mim, which means to be clement and forbearing. Everything is reduced down. You check the, the root letters and you get an understanding of it. Thanks for giving me easy names because... Um, sometimes you get some really complicated names and sometimes they're not even Arabic, they're Persian or some other language so then it gets it more complicated. So Abdul Halim, mashallah. May Allah grant you hilm and may Allah grant you loftiness. Uh, that's, in Islam, that's the purpose of names. The Prophet used to actually change names. Somebody comes to him, his name is Hazan, which means harshness or sorrow. And he changed it. Said, but he didn't want to change. The person said, that's my dad gave me that name. I want to keep it like that. He didn't want to change it. So his grandson or his grandchild, uh, Saeed ibn Musayyib, I think, rahimahullah, he says, yes, there was this harshness that carried on in our family. So don't go for exotic names. People, we get the questions like, Sheikh, what about this name? Is it good? And we're trying to find a meaning we can't. It's some random internet name that sounds exotic. Maybe you want to make the next movie star with a unique name or something. So they don't have to give a branding afterwards. 
you give a good name. Think about the names you give. I personally believe that you have to give a good name that people find it easy to say correctly as well. You got a good name, but people can't say it, they mess it up. So my first son's name is Hudayfa. But hardly anybody can see it, say it correctly. Because they first mess up the ha, it's supposed to be ha Hudayfa. They say who? Huzayfa. And then they change the dal to za, huzay. Huzayfa. So it's, it's changed. So then my second son, I call him Yusuf. I say, you can't really mess that one up. Right? Everybody can say that, Yusuf. Somebody would have to be really messed up to mess that up. Right? And then you've got my last son, I called him Salim. Salim means safe, sound. And the name is very easy. Like Salim, Salim means safe and sound. So think about it. You know, when you have a name, think about it. Go to the ulama, get a meaning. Because I believe that, and I think this is why the Prophet ﷺ said this, when you call a name, like your name is Abdul Halim, my name is Abdul Rahman. And I'm more proud of my name than anything else because I'm a servant of the most merciful one. I wish I could have some mercy, you know. But that's the point. When people keep saying something, there's an effect of it. So let's go back to Pharaoh, uh, back to the, uh, the word. So Qabiliya uh, comes from Qaf Ba'alam. Now, there's another word in Arabic, which is Qubuliya. Now, Qubuliya comes from the same root letters, Qaf Ba and Lam. And that means acceptance. Pharaoh had Qabiliya, but he did not have Qubuliya. They're both from the same. He is able to do, he had capability, but he didn't have acceptance. So he goes down as a degenerate. He goes down as a criminal essentially in history. Right? We don't have that respect for him. Let's take another example. 2000 years uh, or just 1400 years ago, it's the beginning of the Prophet ﷺ's da'wah. And strategically, he makes a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The strategic dua was, Oh Allah, strengthen this faith. Support this faith with one of the two Umars. Amr's Umar. Again, this name. Now, do we have any Umar, Amr, Ammar, Amir, Imran? These are all come from the same root letter, root letters. The word Amr. So there was a famous leader whose name was Amr ibn Hisham in Mecca at that time. And there was another one called Umar ibn al-Khattab. So Umar and Amr. They're both from the same root. Again, same root. It means to establish, to, uh, to develop. So anybody with Amr or Umar, they have this developing idea, right? Amir means the developer. Ammar means the, uh, the, uh, the, the frequent or abundant developer. Imran means development, right? And various shades of meaning. So you had do these two individuals, they were both leaders among the Quraysh and they were both bold, very bold. They were very bold and not scared of people. They both had qabiliya. They both had ability. But the question was that which one was going to gain kubuliya and acceptance? So the question is all about qabiliya or kubuliya. Ability versus acceptance. If Allah has given you ability, will He give you the acceptance as well? Because then not only in the world will you prosper and use your ability, but in the hereafter, it will carry you into paradise and in the satisfaction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, 
out of these two, Umar ibn al-Khattab, you know he becomes Amir al-Mu'mineen. Umar ibn al-Khattab, the second Khalif. Amr ibn Hisham, nobody even knows that name anymore. Not many people know the name. Who is Amr ibn Hisham? Again, it's a genuine question. Who is Amr ibn Hisham? This one you must know. This is not a historical idea. This is, oh well, it is a historical idea, but Abu Jahl, there you go. See, nobody knows him. Even when you're studying Orientalist literature, <coughs> nobody calls him Am Amr ibn Hisham. They call him Abu Jahl. Right? Because that's what he's become known as and that was not. See, Arabs, uh, even today, but especially in that time, they had their own, they had their, uh, their name and then they had an agnomen, a title. Like uh, the Prophet was actually Abu Qasim, the father of Qasim, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this guy was called Abu al-Hakam. He had a huge judicial uh, understanding of things. Abu al-Hakam, that's what his name was. Very intelligent, very bold. And one of the biggest uh, problems against the Prophet ﷺ at the time, along with Umar radiallahu anhu. And they actually related as well. But the Qubuliyya, the acceptance was for Umar ibn al-Khattab, not for Amr ibn Hisham. He became Abu Jahl until today. So can you see the benefit of acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How do we get this acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the question. For that we need sincerity. To do, to recognize what Allah has given us and to recognize it's from Allah. To recognize it's from Allah. That's the difficulty. Because people who are up there, who are accomplished individuals, who have something, there's a false sense of security and self-reliance that comes about. If you look at the followers of the prophets, السلام, it was generally the poor and needy ones that accepted first. So for example, with Nuh uh, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the wealthy or the, uh, the, the more influential or the more settled individual saying to him, Should we believe in you? Whereas it's the lowly people who have followed you as though it's a club. And subhanallah, there are some Muslim countries, they send their most talented to the UK, to the top universities. So for example, my son goes to one of the top universities there. And alhamdulillah, a lot of the, the British-born Muslims, they have beards, they wear hijab, niqab and whatever, and they want to pray. And they find our brothers and sisters coming from these certain Muslim countries. The elite come from there because it's very expensive to study in the UK, right? From, especially if you're a foreigner, unless you get a scholarship. And those guys who come over, they're surprised. They think, you guys are like our, you know, where we would like to be. And you guys are praying. Because the country they come from, there's this separation between the so-called influential wealthy and the, the, the not so wealthy that the religion is for the downtrodden people. And that's a massive problem. I, from the bit I know about Trinidad, I, think, I don't think that's a problem here, inshallah. So once you can get religion, understanding and influence through both of these, then inshallah, that's where you get success in any community. So the Prophet also made this dua. So kubuliyya is very important. Acceptance. For that sincerity, something about the heart. Give you an example. I was an imam in California, Santa Barbara, California. And uh, we had one masjid, but 
it's very few Muslims, a hundred people in Jumu'ah only. And our masjid used to actually span about 70, 80 kilometers across the coast, like a sliver of land across the coast. One masjid in about 70 kilometers. So in Jumu'ah, you got hundred people in normal prayers. You get one or two people if you're lucky, because it's difficult as well. And people are maybe laid back, but it's very difficult to come. One guy who was about 22 years old, 20, 22 years old, his name was Umar. Right now, he doesn't know I'm speaking about him right now. A young guy, his parents had some issues, so he used to survive and make his money by teaching, uh, tu uh, giving tuition to children. And he used to come for every prayer from 10 miles away, which is about how many kilometers? About 14, 15, 16 kilometers. Every, because he used to jump on the highway, it's a California's very good highway, and come for salat 10, 15 minutes, he used to be there. Some salats used to be missing. So I used to wonder, you know, when somebody comes for every prayer and then they're missing, you wonder like what happened? Later I found out the reason he couldn't come for the prayer to the masjid was because he didn't have any petrol money. You guys say petrol or gas here? Gas. He had no gas money, right? Now that he was literally eating hand to mouth, but he would come for prayer. Ramadan was coming up. So we, uh, Imam plus the committee, we would sit few weeks before Ramadan and in, uh, order all the dates etc for Ramadan supplies. So we hadn't done that yet. We were still waiting to do that. One day I came in the masjid and I saw all of these dates, several boxes of you know California dates. They're already here. I said, how did they come? We haven't even decided who's going to buy, when we're going to buy it. So shock, surprise. And we're wondering because we know what goes on. It's not a big masjid where somebody just leaves things lying around. We know everybody there. It's a very small place. Finally, somebody said, I think it's Umar who brought it, this student. And when, I, when he came the next time, I said, Umar, did you get those dates? He tried to avoid the question. When I pinned him down, because you see, now I am feeling so bad about this. I am an imam, I get an imam's wage at least. An imam's wage is not, you know, that great, but barakah, you know. You know and I feel that I make more than he does. And I was waiting for the meeting. I, it did not occur to me that I should buy these dates so I will get the reward of every fasting person that will break their fast. That's how valuable dates are in Ramadan. As the Prophet said, whoever gives something to a fasting person to break their fast with, they get that reward. He had heard that hadith and subhanallah, Allah had accepted that little money that he had and he spent it for this. When I said to him, because I felt really bad for him, and I felt bad for myself to be honest, and I said, Umar, let me pay you for this. He said, Shaykh, do not steal this from me. Do not steal this from me. Nobody, he doesn't know I'm speaking about him today in another country. But that, that work of his was something that I think was accepted by Allah. I'm being made to pray for him and make dua for him that Allah bless him. There was a, a store there. It was called Costco. Right? And it was close to my house. I used to go there and I knew, I thought I knew the Muslims in the area because when you got a hundred people for Juma, you can pretty much know everybody. Right? So, um, I, somebody comes up to me, one of the workers, Salaam Alaikum, Salaam Alaikum, because they see you dressed as a Muslim, Salaam Alaikum is a Turkish brother. I've never seen him before. He said, my name is Ahmed. And uh, 
now it's the first time meeting him now if I say to him brother why don't you come to the masjid he's probably never gonna see me he's never gonna come and meet me again right so I just spoke to him and everything then I used to meet him once a while and then I mentioned him, brother you know we got a masjid here he said oh you know I do two jobs I'm married to a Christian woman I have two job double job this that, and other I said sorry whenever you can please come I didn't give a fatwa on him. Right. Um, one day I go to Jumu'ah. Now, you guys will appreciate this. The guys in England can't appreciate this. I do the Jumu'ah prayer. And we go out afterwards. And there is somebody outside serving everybody chilled, cooled water. Now, on a hot day, right? When you go out in the heat and somebody's giving you chilled water and you're thirsty. Where's the dua going to come from for that? It's going to come from the heart. And you know, who, we never had this tradition. Nobody would give it out. It cost about seven, eight dollars to get two crates of water, chill them or, or, or to bring them and give them out. I'd never thought about this. I give talks on uh, fundraising, spending for the masjid, spending for the belief. But I never did that. And it was cheap. It's like two coffees from, uh, from, from Starbucks or something. And this guy who comes and you know who it was? It was Brother Ahmed. He'd come for the first time for Salat and he'd brought this thinking aloud. So I said, Subhanallah, I go, one is you tell me to make dua for you, I tell you to make dua for me. Another one is to your parents, you're so obedient that they just give you duas. The spontaneous duas automatically coming from the heart because you've done something good for someone. Selflessness. That is what you're going to get acceptance for. MashaAllah, after that, so I said, how, how, he says, yeah, I now work somewhere else. I've got another Muslim there. So we take it in turns to come for Jumu'ah. Inshallah, they're both praying now. But this is what you call acceptance. And I felt so bad that day that I'd never, I hadn't thought about doing such a simple act to bring about so much good and get the du'as from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of these people. So let us think, whatever good you do, Identify the good that Allah has given you, the ability Allah has given you. And let us ask Allah for acceptance, which basically means that if you are a lawyer, you charge people, that's fine. That's how you make your money. But there may be a bit of a, a few things that you can go and you can donate your services for a few needy people. If you're a doctor, it's the same thing. If you, whatever other ability you have, you come and donate that time, to where it's most needed, whether that be in a masjid, in a madrasa, in an orphanage, or anywhere else, just to bring about goodness in the community. And we have to, you're wondering, I don't know how I can help. The women may be just housewife, how can I help? You wonder, how am I going to be accepted for the service of Allah, so the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You have to ask Allah, ask Allah for tawfiq. Ask Allah, oh Allah, accept me for the service of your deen. I don't know what I can do, but accept me and you will see that a situation, a context, an environment will be created where you're on the lookout and you will inshallah find some place. I will finish off with a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which is related by Imam Ahmed in his Musnad and a number of others. Uh, it's from a Sahabi who's not very well known. His name is Amr, again another Amr. Amr ibn al-Hamiq radiallahu anhu. He says that the Prophet said, Whoever Allah intends good with, He will isti'mal, He will use him. He will employ him, put him in service.
Now, the Sahaba are wondering, what does that mean? Right, exactly how will that happen? In another version it says, May yuridillahu bihi khayran asalahu. Similar word, I'll explain that later. So they said, Ya Rasulullah, what is isna'malahu? What does it mean by he will use him in his service? The Prophet ﷺ responded, يُوَفِّقُهُ لِعَمَلٍ صَالِحٍ قَبْلَ مَوْتِهِ يَرْضَى عَنْهُ مَنْ حَوْلَهُ يَرْضَى عَنْهُمْ جِيرَانُهُ Which basically means Allah will enable him, divinely enable him before his death to do something, produce something to help somehow uh, by which his surrounding people, that could be as many people as possible, will be, will be, will be uh, satisfied. You will leave because this is what people will remember. Omar and Ahmed, they do not know. In fact, Ahmed, I haven't even seen him again. Omar, I speak to once in a while. Ah Ahmed, I don't know where he is, but I'm making dua for him right now. And you guys are saying, Ameen, inshallah. Where, what about 50 years after we've passed away? Somebody can make dua for us. 100 years, inshallah, 200 years after we passed away, somebody will make dua for us. Somebody will remember us. Even if not, even for 20 years, if they remember us. Let us change our bad ways if, if we're going to leave a bad precedent and let us do something good. And we have to ask Allah because without Allah, nothing can happen. Only Allah chooses. May Allah grant us kubuliyah and acceptance and may Allah put, accept us for the service of His deen.